Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Retake Lounge. My name is Lucas Bagnera, and this is Nathan Katz, and we are your co-host of the Retake Lounge. That was the vibey intro? No. That was what we're... <laughs> no. no, that was not. I just wanted to be a creep. Uh, what's going on, everyone? Um, <laughs> Lucas is just like, hey, let's let's flow off the vibes of this great intro I'm about to lay down. Welcome to the Retick Lounge. Yeah. Um, so, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in on our next episode um, and for all the support so far. Um, so today's episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So we're going to be introducing the first update of the experiment that I am running, uh, on UV lighting and, uh, larger enclosures, uh, enclosure sizes that I'm doing with my Halmahera female. If you haven't, or you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, go back and listen to the VivTech episode that we did, um, in which we launched our uh, affiliate sponsorship with them and the experiment. Nathan is going to also give an update on something that we are working on with focus cube. And we're just going to kind of talk about random things going on in the industry today. This is kind of a lounging episode. um, But first and foremost, just want to update you on all of the experiment stuff that we are running over here. Don't forget like subscribe comment. If you are watching on YouTube, and if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, like and follow. And don't forget, see the link below there. Patreon. Uh, we have an amazing Patreon. If you are interested in seeing what that's like, go ahead and join. It's only 5 bucks a month at our lowest tier. Um, if you want to ball out, it goes up to 50 And that is to help me and Nathan reach our goal to be able to travel more, be able to do episodes together, um, and go to more shows. As well, make sure that you're supporting US ARC in numbers. Make sure that you're a member before anything else. Donate when possible and then take action when there's any newsletters that have gone out. Uh, I know there was a hearing out in New Mexico just this last week. Thank you for everyone who was able to set some time out of their day and attend that meeting. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, let's kind of just jump in. I'm really excited to kind of talk about um, phase one of the uh, experiment that I'm running. So I'm going to recap uh, and just give a brief summarization of what it is that I am doing. Am I boring you, Nathan? You're yawning over here. Jeez. I, I already told you. <laughs> so we, we just had an open house for this new new uh salon that i'm starting at and uh it was four hours of just non-stop so uh running on fumes but i'm here for you guys <laughs> here here just do it. right here oh um so uh this experiment that i am running here is focused on observing uh, a few behaviors of a halmahera female that i have so number one halmahera's kind of known so far to be a little defensive and be kind of jerks um and not really jerks but they're just really scared as they get older if you don't get them out of that um they could not be fun animals to work with um and so actually another plug if you don't know what a halmahera is tune into last week's episode our moluku locality talk um so i'm observing inquisitiveness defensiveness and feeding response Um, I moved her out of her rack. She's less than a year old, so she's still small. And I put her in a focus cube uh, 2XL, which is 30 inches long, 
24 inches deep, 24 inches tall. Um, and so essentially what I am doing is I'm seeing if VivTech lighting um, and UV spectrum lighting has an impact as well as a naturalistic style setup has an impact on those three behaviors that retics are known for. Uh, phase one was putting this female in the 2XL on paper, no UV lighting, um, kind of like a control just to see differences in a bigger enclosure. So there's a sky hide and there's four hides on the ground with a bigger water bowl. Uh, and I'm going to give you an update on what I've observed. Um, if you are so really quick, really yeah. quick before we get too far into this, how, how are you measuring? Uh, you said you're measuring inquisitiveness, uh, defensiveness. What were yes. the other uh, uh, food benchmarks that you're looking for? Food response? Yeah. And what are, what are some of the markers you're looking for in each of those categories? So basically I talked to uh, one of our Patreon members, Danny. She had a good idea on creating like a Likert scale. So for those of you that don't know, a Likert scale is like a rating of one to five and setting certain categories for each of those things. So for example, uh, defensiveness at a one um, would be, you know, very minimal, uh, you know, uh, S-shaped um, kind of, you know, about to strike, but doesn't strike a two would be one strike. A three would be two strikes. Right. And so just kind of going up into five to see how much defensiveness is going on while I'm handling. And while the snake is also still in its enclosure. Um, and so now, wouldn't you say that there are maybe some other markers that you could include there, maybe like tongue flicks, uh, pupil size, that kind of thing. Pupil dilation. Sorry. So I think pupil dilation and tongue flex is something that's definitely going to be noted and mentioned within the study, but I don't think I can count. You don't want to attribute it to defensiveness quite right away. Right. Because typically what we refer to uh, tongue flicks is whether they are off of a feeding response or not. Right. So like inquisitiveness, you know, the longer tongue flicks means it's more comfortable, not defensiveness. Whereas the shorter ones, it's looking for food, trying to get more of that, you know, trying to read more of the air and the heat that's around it. Um, but also, if I get that technical, it's going to be hard to create a good baseline measure. And what, you know, I don't think anyone has done studies on number of tongue flicks, right? So I think that would be pretty complicated. No, yeah, I, I would just say between slow, fast, and then none at all, maybe, but... Right, right, yeah. Um, and so, um, so in this very first stage, um, again, no VivTech lighting. Um, and just moving it into a bigger enclosure, a little more hides. Uh, the enclosure has a shelf, it has a sky hide, and it has four hides on the bottom. And then there are also two perches going across the enclosure as well um, that are, what are they? Focus cube, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're carbon fiber per perches, I think. But um, so... Let's talk about just kind of general. I'm not going to give like the actual paper findings and the number scales. I'm just going to talk loosely about what I'm seeing. So off the bat, Nathan, super defensive animal. Um, what do you think would happen moving a defensive animal in a tub to a bigger enclosure with nothing changing on the substrate and no lighting? What do you think would happen? 
I would expect the animal to probably be a bit more nervous, uh, be cruising the enclosure quite a bit. Um, and then if you're in the room, potentially striking the glass, that kind of thing. Right. Okay, cool. So um, you hit the nail on the head for two out of those three, and I'll speak to that okay. a little bit. So number one, um, I'm throughout this whole study, I am handling the snake just to keep a control. I'm handling it um, three times a week for five minutes each time. And I'm, I'm, I'm running a timer right when I'm doing this. It might extend a little bit more than five minutes on some or a little less. Um, it's not a perfect controlled five minutes and then I put it in the cage because at the end of five minutes, if the snake is defensive and striking at me like crazy, it's kind of hard to get it back in its enclosure. Um, there's variables that play a part of that, but the goal is five minute handling sessions three times a week. And this is going to be consistent throughout the study to make sure that I'm setting a baseline and so that we're not attributing more handling as why it's less defensive, if that makes sense, to make sure that the study is actually determining if defensive behavior is being reduced by the uh, variables being measured. So um, cruising absolutely has happened a bunch. Um, I go into the garage and it'll be wrapped around the cage where the light is. It'll be um, up on the perches. Um, it'll be on the floor. I can see its belly, like on the glass with its body on the floor, but yes, absolutely. The animal is moving around a lot. So for me, that was eye opening in the sense of like, you know, we keep these smaller snakes and racks, right. And, um, but given this massive space for this tiny animal, um, there is, uh, a lot of movement that's happening. So you were correct on that aspect. Um, hitting the glass anytime that I am up there and the snake is inside of the cage, um, it is hitting the glass. Um, <laughs> but I will say that so far I am attributing that to feeding response. Um, this snake wants to eat 24 seven unless she is in shed. When she's in shed, she will never eat. She always drops it and leaves it. Um, and uh, with a very dark snake, like a Homohara locality, sometimes it's hard to catch the early phases of being in shed. Um, now, I was also thinking the bigger enclosure was going to make this snake more defensive as well. But that has been contrary, and it's been the opposite. So what I've observed so far is that my last three, no, my last four interactions with her have been my best so far. Um, when I open up the enclosure, feeding response is always there, trying to bite the hook. It takes a few taps to get it to go in the opposite direction. But the last three to four handling sessions that I've had with her, she is cruising in my hands. I'm able to work with her. And she hasn't had the behavior like she did in her rack where she would freeze and wrap and be terrified to where we're both just at a standstill. Like, I don't want to move because I know if I move, she's going to rock me. Um, and she's small. She's not going to hurt me, but I don't like being bit. And I just don't want the negative interaction, right? You know, anytime that the snake bites you, that's a negative interaction. So we both would freeze when she was in the rack. Um, the last three to four handling sessions, um, she has been great. The only time that she froze for like maybe 
five to six seconds was when I had my helper in the garage who was moving around doing other stuff and cleaning. And one time he passed in front of both of us pretty quick and she kind of froze and looked at him. I stopped and then she kind of just continued to move. Like she's moving up my arm. She's moving towards my neck. I'm grabbing her. I'm moving her. So, so far defensiveness has dropped down quite a bit in this larger enclosure, which is pretty cool. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and this I, is all before turning the light on even. Right. I And I will share a little update. So I am in on to phase two. Phase two is the light on. So again, this is the jungle cover uh, VivTech bulb that is um, that is uh, providing UVA and UVB lighting. So remember, UVB is helping with the calcium, all that good stuff, like the T5 bulbs that you see out there. UVA is working with the snake's mental health, the, the dopamine, the serotonin, all that stuff. Um, so one cool thing that I did observe was that as soon as I turned the bulb for the for the first time, my snake was in the sky hide looking at me and I turned it on and the snake just like, boom, looked right at the light bulb. I was like, oh, okay. So they can see the light. That's pretty cool. Um, and so far it's been less than a week. Um, it's been Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's been three days. Um, and she has, she has always either been in her sky hide or cruising around this is the first time that I have seen her on the open floor, right? So I right now, the way the hides are set up is there's no hide directly under the light on the floor. I have seen her so much just sitting on the floor, not in a hide, absorbing all that UV spectrum lighting. So that's been really cool to see. Um, our, our first, our, we had our first handling session with the lighting. Um, on and food response was a little bit more intense, but got her out and defensiveness was about the same as it was prior to the light being on. So, um, really interesting thought. So I thought bigger cage, more defensiveness, just like you did. Well, and just a little caveat too, like on the dopamine side of the UVA, like, uh, you, it's, it's not always just going to make your snake happier. Uh, Ryan has explained in, in that episode, it can, it can do one of two things. It, it's going to make your animal turn on it to what its natural state would be. So if it's right. going to naturally be a more defensive animal, it could turn that up. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way he explained it in the, 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 uh, episode was that the, the lighting with the UVA and the UVB combined, uh, tends to turn on just natural instinct more. Right. It tends to kind Natural of instinct. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's been really cool so far. So right now, again, sterile paper hides. We mm-hmm. just turned the light on. That is the only change that is happening for this phase. This phase is going to happen for three months. And then after this phase, we go into a bedding phase where we add bedding with more texture. And then the final phase is going to be uh, a bioactive setup with a real life plant in there with uh springtails and i don't know all the bugs that people go crazy about with you, you crazy people with your bioactive setups uh but we're going to do that those people i mean I, i'm kind of I, i'm about to in a couple months because you're supposed to have it kind of uh culminating i guess that's the word maybe i don't know i'm making that up but for for like four to six months prior to introducing it into the cage so 
I'm going to start looking for my bioactive crew to start putting together and allow them to flourish. So yeah, that's the update that I have so far. Um, before we go ahead and talk about what Focus Cube is going to be providing Nathan and him doing a similar study, let's go ahead and hear a word from our sponsors real quick. Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart Design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows on Morph Market and all over socials. Sometimes it may feel impossible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Design helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brand for US Arcs, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with retics. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. So, wondering if Stewart Design is right for you? Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level. Maybe you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows. And maybe you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd. You want to make your own way doing what you love. You might just have a big idea and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake. Have a conversation with him. To learn more or get started, visit sdidentity.com or call them at 855-SD-LOGOS. Clear brand, own markets, steward design helps create them. Guys, it goes without saying, this episode we're talking all about our experiment with VivTech products uh, and all their UV products for the mental health and just physical health of your animals. So if you guys are interested in providing a little bit more for your reptiles, head on over to vivtechproducts.com and use our affiliate link retic lounge 23 for 15% off today. Absolutely. Um, Nathan, kick us into what focus cube is working with us on uh, in regards to the caging and setup you're going to do, and then the behaviors that your snake is is doing that we are going to be measuring to see if we can get that eliminated. Yeah, so the cage setup is going to be a little bit different. It's something that they're even playing around with. Um, there's a little divider in the center. It's a little bit larger than the cage that Lucas is going to be using for his experiment. So this will be a little bit more long-term for the male I'm going to be throwing in. Uh, I have a male and a female from my first clutch I produced. They are both in the same cage right now. Both have the same heat, um, the same hiding and water options. Uh, I've added a little bit more into the male's enclosure just given his needs, but he is a relentless pusher. Um, while the female remains perfect, I've lowered temperatures, I've given more hide spots, given more temper, uh, given more textures. Like, there's just what? What do you want to say, Lucas? I have a question, and yeah. it's just my curiosity. Are they the same morph? Yeah. Like same exact 
morph combination? Yes. So, and this is going to be a mouthful, but they are Golden Child Platinum Sun Tiger Het Snows. I feel like I'm forgetting something. That'll be nice to run them together. I I actually want to run the mail to my annery or yeah. Yeah. No, no, well, the mail to the annery. That's like the big plan. I just, so wait, say that, say the jeans again. It's a golden child, a platinum golden child, sun tiger, het snow. Okay. So maybe not run, maybe not run together because the super golden childs will be, but, but could you imagine like a super tiger, super sunfire snow? No. (laughs) (laughs) To be completely real with you. No, no. Um, okay. Anyway. And, and if I'm being honest with you, even on those snakes, like it's amazing that they have the genetic potential that they do, but they look pretty muddy when they have that much Four or five on. genes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, anyways, back to what you're going to be doing. Yeah. Back to the cage. So I, it's a, I believe a four by two, uh, Lucas, yeah. you know, the dimensions probably better than I do. Yeah, so it's a four by two that has a divider that's split right in the middle, and it has shelves on each side on the left and right side. There is the option to include two different lighting, but because Nathan is using this for one snake, I don't think he's opting for the lighting on both sides. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the the uh, divider is completely removable from the outside, so you don't have to go inside the enclosure to remove the the divider. Which you know, for for a defensive animal or anything like that, or a problematic animal in terms of behaviors and dangerousness, is is a beautiful thing for uh, being and, able to clean. Yeah, and and his the funny thing with him is his pushing is nothing to do with defensiveness at all. He's easy to handle. He's just totally curious and just wants more enrichment all the time. Yeah. Um, One thing that's cool that's going to be included in the enclosure, and I don't know if, Nathan, you're even aware of this, but they are going to include it in the build, but they are working on a really cool internal fan system to circulate the air. I yeah. did not know this. That's yeah. So it's kind of like your computer fan at, at home Base- is what I'm imagining. Basically, so they're 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 bioengineering or they're engineering, not bio, but they have the where they chose to put the uh, air, like the uh, ventilation strips is very specific in where they put where the air is flowing, so that there's always a perfect exchange of fresh air coming in and out. Huh. Well, that will be extremely fun to play around with and just see how that is. Yeah. Uh, stagnant air in the cages, I think is a, a big problem. And especially if you're keeping on paper, like I am with retics, that stagnant pee builds up on the walls, on the ceiling, like yep. to, to be able to circulate that air, especially right after an animal goes to the bathroom is probably it's huge. probably gonna probably <laughs> probably probably gonna make your room smell a little bit more. All that air. Uh, is well, gonna be... <laughs> when when doesn't it smell when a retic takes a shit in, right. in the, the other room? I mean, right. I'm only five feet away in this tiny little rental. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, what you were saying was you're gonna be so kind of the idea and purpose of this. You're also using VivTech lighting, correct? 
Yeah. So the, I mean, that's the, the biggest portion is being able to mold not only the cage from focus cube, be able to test out some stuff with them, but to also add in the VivTech lighting. I think that's going to obviously providing as much room for your retic is going to be one of the best ways to combat pushing in my opinion. Um, but I think the, the VivTech lighting is going to play a huge factor with him. I'm super excited. And so um, me and Nathan, I've talked a little bit, um, but he wants to run the experiment the same way that I am. So, um, but you yep. know, he'll for... get the big enclosure for a few months and then, right. you know, then we'll switch on the light and then we'll get substrate and then we'll go bioactive with it. Yeah. And what's really cool about this is that we get to kind of the purpose of me doing this and what motivated me to do this was I wanted to see how VivTech lighting and a larger enclosure impacted defensive behavior because my Halmahera female is sometimes relentless. She is just very scared. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't blame her. I'm a, I'm a human and she is tiny. She's less than a year old. And and so um, what motivated me was the defensive behavior. But what's cool is that what we're really going to be focusing on with Nathan, yes, yeah, same thing with inquisitiveness and feeding response. But the main objective is to see how UV spectrum lighting and VivTech bulbs with a larger and then eventually naturalistic enclosure impact pushing. Um, and so I, I think it's cool that we're you know, the, the two worst behaviors. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong. The two right? most problematic behaviors things, yeah, right. in the retic industry. Right. Pushing and a mean retic. Um, and so we're, I, I think it's an awesome opportunity for us to be able to actually put this on a paper. It's not going to be the most scientifically found. Okay. Yes, I do have a background in psychology and I've done these type of things before. But I'm just a therapist now. I just talk to people. I don't do research anymore. So we are having other people that are going to be providing input and helping with this. But at the end of the day, whether it gets published or not, even if we were to just talk about the findings, which we're going to do more, we're going to actually write a full study on it like you would read in a published journal. Um, you know, the goal is not to get it published. If we can, great. If we don't, that I don't, I don't care. That's not my goal. But the goal is just to have the information out there and being completely objective. I told Ryan from VivTech, like, I just want to look at and observe the behavior and record it. I'm not looking to push VivTech's product as this fixer of all magical things. I want this to be a true, legit study because if I lie about it or if we lie about it, it we're, we're not providing a a place of opportunity for VivTech to maybe grow their products or change them or make them better. And so we just, we're going to be um, as completely objective as possible as possible. So um, Nathan, I have some ideas in terms of how to measure pushing. Um, so like, well, shoot them out. This is the time. So like right now I would like, I would walk by your cage that he's in X number of times a day starting right now while he's in his current setup and mark a tally and average how many times a day he, when you walk by, he's pushing. Um, and that he, way, that's, that's also the weird thing. He doesn't necessarily always push when I'm in the room. I very camera. rarely catch him pushing. I, I have one camera and it's on eggs right now. I'm watching it as we record. 
All right. If anyone would like to donate, too bad we're not doing this live and can do a super chat. If anyone wants to donate $30 for a camera for Nathan to get. Oh, my God. Focus just on here. <laughs> go ahead and donate that. You can send it over to our PayPal or better yet, just join our $20 membership Patreon. And that'll pay for most of it. Um, Cute, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I, I will start walking by his enclosure and taking more note for sure. What is she doing? If y'all could see what I'm seeing on my retic cam, this female is so acting all sorts of crazy. I, I'm going to be 100% honest. If you guys keep retics and you guys are just starting to breed, do yourself the biggest favor that your 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 stress and your 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 body will thank you for is do not get a camera. <laughs> Don't get a camera. I still do it, and I hate myself. Way for to it contradict yourself within like a minute. Right. No. So everyone, this... chip in. Nate needs another camera. No, no, no. And also, Not... guys, don't ever get another camera. No, get a. Let's just throw all the stress on Nate and don't ever take our advice. <laughs> no. So I want I want you to get a camera so that you can observe the behavior of this study yeah, that we're doing. Um, but if you get a camera while you're breeding. And, you know, I'll say a camera is good for watching locks, right? For watching a male and female together. But once mm -hmm. that's happened and then you're just waiting for eggs, you will literally have stomach ulcers. <laughs> if, if you just watch <laughs> your snake on camera all the time, like me and Nathan do. Um, for the last week, me and Nathan every day have been sending videos from our camera, uh, pictures of our camera thinking, oh, is today the day? Is today the day? Um you're going to drive yourself absolutely crazy. <laughs> Anytime she moves her lower third, I'm like, okay, is she moving them lower now? Right. I think they might be a little bit, they could be close to the vent today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I will, it's, I, it's bad guys. It's really bad. I will say though, you can get some cool footage. Like I've seen, like I've gotten pure locality animals that I've gotten to record on that camera to see them lay eggs. So there's a good side of it, but um, if you are already a highly anxious person, I don't recommend having a camera on your gravid females because you won't sleep. <laughs> you will lose a lot of sleep. I don't think a truer uh, statement has been said on the retickler. <laughs> right. Um, so we're talking about breeding, Nathan. Um, I, I kind of have like in my heart to talk about uh, the ups and downs of breeding right now. <laughs> Um, I mean, we just gave you one of the downs right there, so we right. already got it started. Exactly. Um, but this year for breeding for me has been a big year in many ways. Um, I This is the most clutches I've had laid. Uh, these are the most babies I've had in my garage. Um, but with that all said, um, it hasn't been a pretty season. It hasn't been perfect. There's been a lot of downs. Um, and I, I kind of just wanted to talk about some of those aspects that, um, suck, but then some of those that are also really freaking awesome. Um, so before I go into a ramble, I, I mean, what, what's been some up and downs that you've gone through? Yeah, I feel like we should start with me just because, you know, my, my operation over here is so small still, but I, I think maybe the down for me this season is 
uh, not following some of the advice I got uh, the original time I, I paired and got eggs. Uh, I mistook a pre-ovulation shed for a pre-lay shed. Can I stop you right there? Or did I say post? No, 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 no. You said it perfect. I just want to just give a quick explanation of it. Okay. So pre-ovulation shed is basically the shed your females have when they start to build follicles and they get bigger. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll shed before they go fully off of food or before they're receptive to a male. So that's the pre-ovulation shed. The post-ovulation shed, or what's known as the pre-lay shed, is the last shed that they have before they lay eggs. Two very, very important sheds when you're looking for when your female might be laying or if they're getting closer to breeding. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, I actually might have a pre-ovulation going on right now. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, we'll see when we offer food. Uh, but uh, I mistook that pre-ovulation shed for a pre-lay shed. Luckily, I had some good signs of follicle growth. I had a handful of locks leading up to the ovulation and the pre-ovulation shed. Uh and it it seems to be that this girl is gravid. We'll know in a matter of hours from the recording point of this. But, Wait, are are you talking, um, are you talking about your purple right now? Mm-hmm. This guy is questioning yeah. if she's gravid or not when she's inverted like three times in the last couple of days. She's yeah. I I I, I, I I'll question it, Lucas, until there are eggs on the ground. <laughs> This is what I mean. So another con of breeding is it makes you crazy. It it does. Uh, well, I'm in my second real season of Third. breeding too. So Lucas will always argue me on this too. Third. But that's why I say second successful uh, year of breeding. Uh, yeah, I, I do believe she's gravid. I, I, Lucas knows I don't have the highest hopes for this clutch. I I really, really hope that she lays just great eggs, but we will see. Uh, Maybe she'll lay tonight and maybe we can put a a picture right here. Oh, that'd be nice. Of the eggs or whatever gets laid and update you guys. And, you know, Lucas can rub it in my face. Ha ha, you were wrong. Whatever. (laughs) There's the laugh for it. I would, right there. I, I would celebrate with you. No, um, I know, I know, but you would, you would, you would be a little bit. I, I, I mean, know I, you'd be like, no, not, e- not, e- not, e- not even, <laughs> not even a little bit, a lot, but I would keep it inside. <laughs> um, so, oh. yeah, I mean, I like breeding, like when you think you have it figured out a snake will throw a curveball and they throw you for an emotional roller coaster in terms of what you're seeing. Um, yeah. And, I thought she absorbed to be completely honest at one point. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I mean, just going even to the cons of breeding, like Nathan tried these two snakes last year and nothing happened with each of them. Um, and I don't know. Well, I, the male, the male was too young, I think. And for for whatever reason this locality stuff with Kalatoa and some of the smaller bloodlines they don't the males don't mature as fast as some of the mainland males for whatever I'm, reason 
I'm a big believer. I just smacked my bottle on the table. So sorry for the yeah, few listening just aggressive. on Spotify. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't think it's like, yes, age obviously plays a factor, but I think size plays the most important factor. And I think that that showed this year with my Ocelot male. Um, cause he bred at 12 months. Um, but he had the size of like a 18 to 24 month old Kalatoa. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, um, you just never know what you're going to get. And, you know, this season for me, um, you know, I had four clutches laid and out of those four clutches that were laid, I only had one technical slug. Um, but I have a clutch of, uh, TK Kalatoa Philippines that I started off with 12 eggs and I'm down to four, you know? Um, and then my Kalatoa clutch, you know, I had 19 eggs that went the full distance. And then I ended up having seven of them die in the egg. And, I'm only left with six of those animals that are showing perfect health and perfect signs of a normal animal. While the other six have slight wobbles. One of them does not have a wobble at all, but has no tongue. Um, that's eating well and is doing great. But um, even the ones with a wobble, they all took their first meal. They're, they're, they all took their second meal. Like they're eating great, but I have a bunch of animals. Wait, did that... you say one has no tongue? One, I have not seen a tongue flick yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and, and and again, no sign of wobble, no sign of neurological issues, no sign of what potentially could have been an overheated incubator. But here's the thing. is like a lot of the people I've talked to were like, your incubator is uh, must have overheated right at the last minute and caused these issues because your eggs didn't die a couple weeks before they hatched, like your snakes developed. Um, but here's the thing is I have a sensor push system in my incubator and also in my egg box. My incubator runs on an average of 87 and a half degrees to about 88. It fluctuates only within half a degree. The hottest my incubator ever got was still less than 89 degrees. And the coldest my incubator ever got was like 86.9 so at most, I had a two-degree fluctuation. That's not, a, in my opinion, you guys that are more experienced, if you're listening, comment down below, um, a two-degree difference when it's not at 90 and it's not at 85 shouldn't be causing the issues that I had. Um, the only suspicion that I have and that I haven't confirmed yet because I haven't sexed all of them because I'm not in a rush to sell them or to cull any or I'm just... Oh. I'm, I'm waiting it out, I but I didn't think about this possibility. Is a partho clutch? Yeah. Okay. That. That's the okay. only didn't thing that I can that. think of. That's the only thing that I can think of because what's crazy is that my my TK Kalatoa male was paired to my Philippine, whose clutch went bad, and was paired to my Kalatoa, whose clutch went bad, and so I'm wondering if both of them are throwing a partho clutch. But the thing is, my TK Kalatoa is over with my buddy Sean right now. I never saw visual locks in any of those pairings, but he has sent me like a dozen pictures of him locking with his female right now. Um, and so we'll see how that clutch pans out. Maybe my male's just a bust. But um, but usually when it's an issue of the male, 
you usually get infertile. You get slugs. You get like the hard yellowish orange eggs. But um, so yeah, I mean, four clutches this year, and my Kaiwati clutch perfect. My pure Kalatoa clutch kind of a bust, which was going to be a big part of the income that I made this year because I'm doing a lot of partnership projects this year. Complete bust. So there's the downside of like, you know, I thought I had 19 perfect eggs and then all of a sudden like, boom, I only have five or six animals I could potentially sell. Um, And then my Kalatoa Philippine cross bust. I'm going to maybe end up with four. And then I just had my mainland tiger uh have a clutch with my male ocelot and so far every egg candled it's a beautiful 25 perfect egg clutch and so i'm holding on to that as hope to end my season because that's like the most like anticipated clutch that i had this year um and the one that you weren't anticipating even going at all yeah this is a 12 month old male ocelot that I, that I put in with this huge female and the dude got it done. Shout out to Aubrey for helping me out with getting him up to size. It and, was all and, the good vibes I was putting out. <sighs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, so what I'm hoping to land off of that is a visual Indo caramel tiger, hundred percent het ocelot. So tiger ocelots have been produced, um, but I don't think that a visual Indo caramel tiger, hundred percent het ocelot has been produced yet. So, I'm excited for that. Um, And that's like the good side of it, right? There's a good side of being excited and getting to watch babies hatch. Like Nathan, did you get to actually see any of your snakes pip or like, what was that experience like for you getting to hold those babies? Uh, I got to see, I don't think I actually saw any of them cut as it was happening, but I saw the first few slices it was actually as I was on a interview with Tesla. Uh, <laughs> What's crazy yeah, is I remember that, you telling me about that. Yeah. So uh, shortly after I had uh, my lower back fused L3, L4, after having a spinal infection, uh, my surgeon told me that it probably wasn't the best idea that I had a, a standing job or a job that I, I used my body to work. I, I'm a barber and he's like, yeah, you should probably find a desk job. So uh, I had a buddy working at Tesla and I, I landed an interview and in the middle of my interview, my incubator was right next to me. So I kind of just popped it open. I think I was still waiting for them to like start the interview or whatever. And I saw that the eggs were starting to pip and I'm like, I'm supposed to be professional right now and try to land this job, but I don't give a shit because the most important thing in my life is happening right next to me. Why do I care about this Tesla customer service job? No, no. (laughs) And yeah, I, I couldn't hold back my excitement and they asked me about some of my achievements and I was like, well, uh, sitting right next to me, it's happening right now. But <laughs> uh, uh, they ended up offering me that job. But uh, dude, I just I'm I'm someone who follows my passions. And in the end of the day, when when the doctor told me I, I shouldn't go back to hair. And I had another job lined up that was just back in the office. 
I, I just couldn't see myself there. So yeah, I went I get back. That. Yeah, I went back doing hair because it's something I know I'm good at. It's something I know I can, I can make a little difference doing. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I do a ton of outreach with the the homeless population in Salt Lake City. I cut hair for the homeless at least twice a month. Go to dementia centers. Like it's just a way I can give back to my community. So, um, and something I'm good at. So I had to go back, yeah. but yeah. So you got, you, rant. you, you got off that interview and you started watching your snakes cutting. Like, is that not the best feel? Like for those of you that are on our Patreon, you got to see a video I uploaded of my egg cutting with my Kalatoa. Well, you and... got to have one pop out in your hand. That's Dude, the best. That, that was like, I got that... to cut them open and I got to like be on, on a zoom call with Garrett and Joe. Cause my first, breeding was in partnership with reach out reptiles and joe hole while he was stationed in korea so i mean that was cool Thanks for, for your service, sure joe. like i mean um yeah i mean that was an amazing experience i i want the experience this year of when they're pipping to pick one up in my hand and just rub the top of it see if i can get that same thing to happen so, so mine wasn't that perfect. i have new new goals this year <laughs> mine mine wasn't that perfect and if you if you uh there's a video up on our patreon that you can see it but i i every single egg that i have every clutch that i i have cut i post those videos on the patreon and when i was cutting the kalatoa clutch i was in the process of cutting one of the eggs and i i made a nice little slit and i i wasn't going to take it out or anything but i peeked and all of a sudden in my hand on the bottom i could feel it moving and right in my hand on camera this snake pokes its head out and just gives a big yawn taking its very first breath ever just right in my hand and i will never forget that um ever i mean those of you that are just getting into breeding i'm telling you when those snakes hatch even if it's not that experience um there's very little that that i mean and this is just me and i'm and me and nathan i've talked about this he agrees as well but there's very very little that um really can compete with that feeling it just it's a great feeling because it takes a lot of work a lot of time a lot of money a lot of dedication a lot of doubt a lot of thinking you're a failure a lot of thinking that you messed up um for all of it to just come full circle and you now have life breathing in your hand a lot of a lot of people in your personal life looking at you like you're crazy for even right with the animals that you work with like a including it's... my wife <laughs> <laughs> All tonight, every time uh, anyone heard that I also breed reptiles on the side, it was a whole conversation about, you know, why would, why, why snakes? And you, you know, the whole, it's all typical. Yeah. So at work, at my job now, we have a, a, a clinical staffing every Wednesday. It's a two hour meeting and we do little team builder questions. And whenever it's about like hobby or success or anything like that, that our, our fund director proposes, um, every single time it's my turn to share, they're always like, it can't be about snakes <laughs> because I'm always mentioning the snakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're nerding out right now. They just don't get it. They don't get it. Um, and that's okay. Not everyone needs to get. They're it. not. They're not. They're they're not enlightened like us, Lucas. Right. <laughs> get on our level. 
Uh, Create life and you will see. <laughs> My coworker who has literally probably had four kids is like, wait, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, You're like I've had one, but do you know how many baby snakes I've made? Right. <laughs> like I've brought more life into this world <laughs> than you ever could imagine. Tell me when you're on your 35th child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good that comes with breeding, but then also a lot of bad. Um, we talked about some of the just doubt and confusion, but then also just like selling in a market like today. There's a recession that's happening right now. A lot of people aren't buying animals. And um, it can be scary for people that um, are either – fully reliant, you know, for those of you that have really big businesses out there that are fully reliant on selling animals in order to cover your overhead and feed your family. This is a scary time. And I, I, I truly empathize with those of you that are going through that. It's really hard. Um, and then for those of us that this is still a hobby and we're not quite where you guys are at right now, because I, I know that's a goal for me. It's a goal for Nathan to be able to do this a lot more uh, not maybe huge scale, but be able to make a good amount of our income off these animals. Um, but even for us, just, you know, we have limited space. Granted, I have more space than Nathan, but still limited. Um, you know, if I have an entire clutch that doesn't sell and they're all of a sudden 12 to 18 months old, they don't fit in that hatchling rack anymore. Um, and then you need to worry about where the hell am I going to put them? Okay, I'm going to buy a bigger rack, but then... Me and Nathan also struggle with the idea of like, do we want to go the rack system? Like we're trying to provide our snakes with more and better. Um, and so like there's this conundrum that you fall into that that is is scary for when you start to breed snakes. And so, um, you know, if you guys are new at breeding, like for your first year, um, it's okay if you don't come out with a you know a five clutch season your first year or a or a seventy five hundred dollar animal uh you know clutch because that's hard to move when you're new and no one knows you um yeah there's there's a lot that goes into it but there's a lot of stress that goes with selling animals like breeding i think is the easy part now that this is my second year in retail and selling um man once once you breed and retake the first or second time, you kind of start to get the hang of it. And that's the easy part for me. It's selling that starts to become hard. Yeah. And who knows where, where the economy is going to recover to in, in the next year or two. It's, nothing's a guarantee at this point. Right. Um, I talked to a wise man that's been doing this for a while and he has bred through multiple recessions. Um, and encouraging words in the sense that it seems like the reptile industry tends to always bounce back from recessions and prices tend to get back to where they were. But, you know, another bad thing about breeding is like you invest a lot of money on a specific project. If other people jump on that train and jump on that project that aren't ready to hold animals back during a recession, they can completely crash that entire market before you're able to capitalize and try to make you know, that investment that you thought you were going to make. Um, so, and again, I guess that just goes back to the retail side of things. Um, that That's the hard part of selling is, you know, the market can drop, the market can increase. Um, you know, animals that you bought two, 
two years ago that are $2,000 might only be worth $750 right now. Um, and that's like kind of a hit to your heart because you're, you know, expecting to produce $2,000 animals and now they're only worth a thousand. Um, so there's a lot that goes into that, that can, you know, turn people off. And that's why I think I've seen over the last six years, a lot of people come and go, right. A lot of people get into it. And when the financial part isn't there, you don't see their name anymore. Um, so again, I'm only going to recommend breeding reticulated pythons. If you absolutely love these animals and if you didn't make a dollar off of them, you would be okay with that. It always comes back down to the passion in the end. Yeah. Lucas, you have anything else for tonight? No, it was kind of cool. Just having a loose episode, updating you guys on the experiments and just talking about breeding. But, um, no, I don't other than, um, again, just thanks so much for tuning in and, and, um, you know, don't yeah, forget your support means the world guys. I mean, we're blown away just at six months into this thing, seeing where this has all come. I mean, we would never imagined it be where it is now so uh thanks thanks for kicking with us and we'll uh we'll see you next week